Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone had a pleasant holiday. And uh, this week, it's me and Jeff together for Necro Thursday. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. <clears throat> Glad to hear it. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so in the, in the interim time, since the last time we spoke, have you seen anything interesting? Interesting? No, not really. <laughs> um, I haven't been watching much. I've been at work a lot lately, so I haven't had a lot of time to watch anything. But I did watch something, and I think I, I, I texted uh, in our little Necromaniacs text thread about the last broadcast on Shudder. You, you also texted about it, but you kind of warned us about it as well, so yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I saw an ad for it somewhere. I think on, you know, uh, Instagram, something like the the uh, as this lost gem of the found footage uh, genre that came out in 1998. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll check that out. And uh, it was basically like the cable access version of like Blair Witch. Like it was obviously made by with no budget, made by like just a bunch of people with a camera. Which is fine, you know that that can be good, but uh, a, a lost classic it is not. I'll just say that. Is it a similar uh, narrative, like the similar? Oh, it's it's about the Jersey Devil. Is that what it's about? Sort of. It's about people making, a, trying to make a documentary. And actually, it's funny. I said cable access. I think that these people, like in the film, uh, work their, their show is like a cable access show or whatever, and they're trying to they're doing this documentary about the Jersey devil and they went into the woods and only one came out. Um, it's a cool premise, cool idea. Uh, it's, it's what interests me about it is it was a horror movie. It's on footage one and that I never heard of, especially at a time when like that was maybe like a couple years before the Blair witch project. Um, so that, that kind of piqued my interest uh, a little bit. I was like, how, how is this? Not, I'd never heard of it. And then I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, it's bad." That's why I never. That's why I never like went anywhere. I like the subject matter of that stuff. I I have to be honest with you. I, I didn't really like uh, the Blair Witch Project when I saw it in the theater. Um, back oh, in, interesting. Back in the day, I remember me and uh, and uh, Taz Niles went to go see it, and uh, and I was like so excited about it because it was very much in line with a lot of the things that I really liked, you know. And uh, yeah, I liked the very end. Mm. And I like some of the things with like the you know the the weird sticks and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, you know, picked up on the references with like you know, to me, I was like, oh, this is like some Carl Edward, Carl Edward Wagner stuff in the woods, you know, because mm-hmm. there's a short story by him called Sticks, and those types right. of things f- figure heavily in that. And um, but I just didn't really enjoy it. And going back, I actually like it a lot more. Um, there was also another, there was a Jersey Devil movie called The Barons, which came out, which wasn't that good either. <laughs> I, again, I don't think I've even heard of that. Yeah. But there is a uh, short story by, uh, I read it in a collection, a short story called The Barons by F. Paul Wilson. Okay. And that one is more like like a weird fiction folk horror kind of thing that takes place in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. And uh, yeah, I don't know what any of this has to do with, <laughs> with what you just said, but like I'm just like rambling right now. But that actually was pretty good, you know. So I, the idea of this stuff is interesting, but I feel like a lot of the found footage stuff doesn't quite hit the mark with it, you know. 
No, and this isn't really about the Jersey Devil at all. It's about like a murder case, oh, like which okay. is uh, again like like I was when I saw like Jersey Devil, that's what it you know really got me going because I love stuff like that. Anything about like the Loch Ness monster, Bigfoot, uh, you yeah. know all that. I love that kind of stuff. Love Cri- it. Cryptozoology, yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, too. there uh, there's a great movie about the Loch Ness monster mockumentary with Werner Herzog. He didn't direct it, but he's in it. It's called uh, God, it's, it's the Searching for Loch Ness or Legend of Loch Ness, something like that. It's 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 a very good found footage movie about someone trying to make a. Uh, make a movie about the Loch Ness Monster. It's also kind of more of a comedy. <laughs> like, it's very funny. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of hoping for something like that. Maybe this is like this lost classic or... Uh, it's not. Uh, and it's too bad because, you know, maybe not found footage, but again, like like you said, cryptozoology stuff I love. Like, uh, there's a great movie from around that time called uh, The Mothman Prophecies, which I'm sure everyone has seen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at this point. Uh, I love that movie. Me too, actually, uh, I, and and it's um it's based on you know there, there's some like folklorish stories that it's based on like some you know like actual accounts of people and their experiences and it, it was pretty yeah you know, I thought that was really cool that was a good movie I thought yeah it was good I, I remember not getting very well received at, at the time but and being sort of alone and enjoying it but uh, I haven't seen it in maybe since it. God, I don't know, 15, 20 years, it's been forever. I'm curious, uh, watching it now, how I'd feel about it. So uh, I'm going to watch that tonight. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of like related books to that, too, that have to do with like the, the men in black and, and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, it's also stuff like that really interests me when there's some credibility around it, you know, where like multiple men, people like have similar stories and, and, and things like that. It's not just some one lone wacko <laughs> claiming this experience you know what i mean yeah definitely I, I love all that stuff man that's that's like definitely something that hooks me in yeah i mean so that's really mostly what i uh bought the only thing worth noting other than um i uh, i wanted to mention <laughs> i've listened to more music lately at, you have. at work and yeah well I, i've been doing this thing where i'll just say a song like hey play this and then kind of let my apple radio go off on its own and I gotta say, like, my Apple Radio went to some disturbing areas where I'm like, why would it think I like this? Like, Limp Biscuit came up. Oh yeah, hell yeah, that's sick, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately like rolled up the windows and turned it down. <laughs> like, I don't want like, why does that? Why does my Apple Radio think I would want to hear this? I mean, Limp Biscuit is like the January sixth of music. What, what were you listening? What was the song directly before the Limp Biscuit track? Go see. It was late. It was deep into, uh, like you know, thirty minutes into it. I think I'm trying to think of the song. It was like Soundgarden or something like that. Hmm. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know, so you get the sound, and then you kind of it goes off into like different. You know, you get a lot of the grunge stuff, and then Slipknot comes up, (laughs) and then um, you know, some like fucking Deftones, you know, and then Limp Bizkit. I'm like, hmm, I don't know how you got there from Soundgarden. I don't either, actually, but I can see where you would get there from Slipknot and Deftones, though. Even though I don't consider, I consider, uh, you know, Limp Bizkit a completely different thing than those other two bands. But there's a thread that connects them for sure. Yeah, sure, and, and you know, Slipknot. To be honest, I'm not really familiar with their music at all. 
I hate to say it, but all right, I'm not going to say I, I like them, but I don't <laughs> dislike Slipknot. I have to be okay. completely honest about my thoughts on that band. I think that uh, it's not my cup of tea. Like, I would never go out and see them live unless I was like, you know, I would never spend money to see them. Yeah. But if, like, say we were playing, like, some European festival and they were playing, I would watch their entire set, though. I could see that. Yeah. Sure. You know, and I don't and buy he, their records, but yeah. I don't think their music is that bad, really. Right. And, you know, it's weird because you could be in Slipknot. I wouldn't even know because they were those fucking outfits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's why you're sitting here defending them. Sure, I get it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah, I get, yeah, Deftones, you know, it, it just took me back to that whole, like, I like Deftones, obviously. Yeah, no, me too. They're great. Uh, I was in a band with one of them. Um, but, like, it just took me back, even, like, hearing that, like, you know, it took me back to, like, that era of, like, 2000 when, like, I couldn't take any of that seriously, even though, like, Deftones were, like, a good band. Like, they just came from a world that I hated so much that I just didn't give them the time of day till way after the fact, you know? Definitely, man. I, I didn't start listening to Deftones until, like, 20... 20- 15 or something like that i gotta be honest with you that's that's the disdain i had for them all these years yeah well it wasn't them so much as the scene they came from for me and uh, i think it was some one tour we were on where aaron uh, harris played white pony all the time this is back before like iphones and things like that and just put the cd in and I had to like begrudgingly admit like this is actually good like i like this <laughs> i would never admit it but yeah there was um when, when we lived in the house on on mission hill like dean and those guys would play like deftones white pony and um and uh you know radiohead and stuff like that and mm. it was even back then i i didn't it wasn't like i would ever admit to liking it but i was like oh, this is actually pretty cool and then i would try to listen to the records and i just wasn't into it and then it wasn't until much much later that suddenly i, I started appreciating what they were doing musically you know yeah, like I kind of thought, like, really, like, well, if you listen to what they're doing, it's not all that dissimilar to what ISIS was doing yeah. at the time. Sort of like this forward thinking based in metal. They just, we just came from two completely different worlds. You know what I mean? But it's the same ideas, I think, behind what we, you know, wanted to do. Like, when the word, you think of the word post metal, which was thrown around a lot with ISIS. Um, Deftones weren't that dissimilar, you know. It's metal, but it's it's melodic. There's influences of uh, you know, goth music or like you know like Joy Division, Cure, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was just interesting to to think about that era, you know, because at this point that was you know 22, 23 years ago now. Yeah, that was a while ago, man. I hate to think about all this time passing, honestly. I, yeah, I do too. Because I'm like, how did this happen? How was that then? How was that 20 years ago? It's fucking nuts to me, man. Yeah. What? A, <laughs> oh, enough about my ramblings. What have you been checking out, man? Well, I've been really getting into that American Horror Story uh, New York City uh, season. And, oh, um, that's the newest one, right? Yeah, it's really good, man. I, you know, and look, I know, I know a lot of guys out there probably think, Ameri- you know, I'm like, uh, you know, like. Uh, like a incel for like list like really being into American Horror Story. <laughs> oh, I don't think that as a grown man, but like I I fucking love it, man. I've always liked that show, and uh, but the um, the newest one really is good. It's a bit of a departure, you know. They don't have they have some of the same cat you know cast members, right? Uh, you know, there's no Evan Peters because he was probably filming Dahmer around this time. Sure, uh, no Sarah Paulson yet. I just haven't seen her. Maybe she is in it. 
but uh, mm. like halfway through it. But it's um, it has more of like a uh, police procedural mixed with a, a giallo film. Mm. And with like, and, and the obvious thing is that it's heavily influenced by cruising. Right. Okay. Yeah, we have talked about this uh, privately. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that, and uh, you know, I I know I've said this on the podcast before. I've watched two seasons of American Horror Story, and it's sort of like eating like a frozen Totino's pizza. Like you know, it's crap, but you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know definitely. I mean? And you know, this one I would say is a little bit more has a little more validity though. I think than the other ones in some ways. Like I I you know, dude. Like I said. It's like eating an ice cream sandwich, like when you watch the other ones, you know, it's just like really good, but maybe a little bit empty calories. You know what I'm saying? Totally, totally. Uh, the two seasons I watched were wildly different in quality. One uh, was you know, the guy who played Dahmer. Uh, he was a Trump cult leader. So he was in some like. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Election year or whatever it was called. Yeah, yeah that was that was like really it, it, like enjoyable. It was, you know, schlocky and, and goofy and over the top. But I enjoyed it and made me want to check out another season. And the other season I watched was just unbearable. Like I, I, I don't even know how I ended up finishing it. I think it was the season was like the apocalypse or something. They're all oh, living yeah. and like. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was bad. Yeah. It you know, varies. They take chances though, which I think is kind of cool. Like they definitely don't stick to a uh, like a like a plot really. Like they don't have like okay, this is what we do every season. It's a it's a chance, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm definitely gonna check check out more because I heard there was one that was sort of a riff on Friday the Thirteenth. It was like a summer camp season. And I was like, oh, that that kind of sounds interesting to me. Yeah, that one wasn't one of my favorite episodes uh, seasons, but it was pretty good. But yeah, the, right. the, the new one, new one's really cool, and most notably, it's got a, a really, really interesting score and soundtrack. Like the score, the musical score is very creepy and has this kind of like, uh, you know, witch housey kind of like vibe to it. Mm, okay. And um, the licensed music in there is excellent. Like they have "Shadow Play" by Joy Division as a, one of the tracks, which is like nice. one of my jo- favorite Joy Division songs. And, uh, one of the greatest fans ever. Yeah, totally, man. Really? I mean, I, yeah. I fucking always been a huge fan of them. But uh, yes, but yeah, that's uh, I don't know. I, I I fuck with it. It's good, man. Definitely check it out. You know, and um, I will. That's that's really. I've been very very busy lately, and um, I've been doing a lot of reading. I just finished uh, Adam Neville's new book, The Vessel. Short read, oh. really good. Just like all of his other work. Uh, not mm. my favorite of his most recent material, but well worth uh the read you know lately he's he's been doing this very deliberate meditation on uh you know folksy british horror you know and it's not a run-of-the-mill folk horror story you know what i mean it's like his own thing but you can obviously tell he's he's fascinated with uh ancient britain and its mythologies you know yeah because obviously that's that's sort of a theme in uh, the ritual yes and and that's definitely more like more like northern european stuff you know and uh right and uh and i started another uh book called womb w o o m by duncan ralston okay and it's um it's a an extreme horror it's a totally different trip than the vessel like the vessel is like you know kind of like moody and intellectual and stuff like that and this is just like right. like brutal bloody transgressive you know 
very very intense kind of uh you know splattery kind of like horror horror novel it's short as well it's like 135 pages i think oh, and, okay uh, not typically a genre that i read a whole lot but um i follow uh criminali it's a booktube channel and, right um he was running down a bunch of stuff that he'd read and uh this came up and it sounded interesting. So I figured I'd try it out. So I just downloaded it on my Kindle and, and read it. I'm in the process of reading it right now. Yeah. You know, um, I read something recently too, or re reread something. I should say, uh, the Stephen King story. N. you read that one? I don't, th I think, I don't think I've read that one actually. Uh, it's in the, uh, just after sunset collection. No, I don't have that. I, think. I don't have that collection. Eh, not his best. Uh, I think Stephen King always shines in his short stories. Um, and every collection has at least one knockout story that just blows me away. Some have, you know, so you go back to his earlier work, like uh, Skeleton Crew and uh, Night Shift, where it's, you know, story after story is great with a couple duds. Uh, as time went on, kind of flipped. Where there's a lot of duds with some some, some great stuff in there. And uh, the story N is, is, is very good. Uh, Lovecraftian in some aspects about, uh, you know, it's basically like mostly a psychiatrist talking to his patient uh, named N. You know, he gives him like that name. Oh, like, like, like an Edgar Allan Poe kind of vibe. So like, just like, you know, he won't say his name. So like, we'll call him patient N kind right. of thing. Gotcha. And uh, I, I highly, I think it's something you would really enjoy. And it's one of Stephen King's best late, later era stories. It's probably... I can't, I can't remember when that collection came out, but I would assume it was early 2000s when it, it was written. Um, just to show everyone, you know, he's still got it. Like, he still can, can knock out a very effectively creepy story. And uh, I'll check it out, I was, man. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll probably definitely grab, check it out. I'll probably grab this on, t on uh, Kindle or something like that, probably. Yeah, and then, to my surprise, it was adapted as sort of like this like animated... Uh, I, I'm not even sure what it was for. It wasn't for like a network or anything. I don't know if it was like made as an advertisement for the book, but uh, they did the story in like five minute animated shorts and uh, pretty much sticks to the source material really well. So once you read the story, I guess Google, uh, you know, and Stephen huh. King animated. Uh, Interesting. It's good. It's very good. Uh, I was listening to the King cast and that kind of sparked my memory. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember really, really liking that story. I got to check that out again. The King cast is good, but at times not that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I stopped listening for a while. Yeah. me too. I just <laughs> I started, exactly I just started reading again. I mean, I'm not yeah. reading. I just started listening again rather. Yeah, me too. There was, uh, you know, it's one of those things I check in on every once in a while. I'm like, okay, who's the guest and what are they talking about? And I was like, oh, and I remember liking that one. I'm going to listen to this. Really, really funny. Uh, the, the most recent episode has this, this author, Stephen Graham Jones, on. And, um, okay. <laughs> he was telling a story. I forgot, I forgot the Stephen King story. Oh, uh, the monkey. They were doing that. Oh, right. The, the, the night, yeah. Skeleton Crew. Yeah. Skeleton Crew, yeah. And um, he was talking about how that, that story had originally appeared in Gallery, the porno magazine. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so he was saying, he's like, you know, I was, you know he's from Texas, so he's got that draw, you know, and he's like, sure. He's like, you know, I, I was, so I figured I'd, I'd start submitting my, my work. I figured I, I, I submitted my first short story to Jugs, 
J U G G S. Or you know what that magazine is? And I was just like, can you imagine that as an author? I'm gonna start submitting short stories to fucking Jugs magazine. <laughs> I cannot. I mean, Playboy, sure. I mean, that that Playboy had a legitimacy Jugs. to it. Yeah, Jugs. <laughs> Yeah. So I he got rejected, obviously. They said in the letter they said clearly you haven't read our standards for short story submissions and stuff. So it's like <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh I'm sure those guys got a kick out of that. Oh yeah, man. Dude, I was I was audibly la- I was la- I was driving home from the city cuz I I was I had to go to New York for uh, for work a few days ago and I was driving back. I was going through the Lincoln Tunnel and I heard that and I was just like I laugh crying. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> so I'm like, right, even now it makes me laugh thinking about it, you know? Oh, that's hilarious. And you know what's funny is not that long ago, I was in a convenience store in Los Angeles and like looked to my left and he still had a rack of like porno mags, like with names like that. And uh, I was like, who's buying? Hey, this is still a thing. People are still buying this I shit? want, you know, I was going to ask that. I was like, do you think anyone, re- listeners out there, let us know, do you guys buy porno mags anymore or just look on, <laughs> online? Yeah, I assume the market for that is like homeless people. <laughs> I don't know who else would be buying a porno magazine. I mean, in in the world of uh, of the internet, even just the idea of uh, using still photography for your needs is kind of weird. You know, it's kind of anachronistic in a lot of ways. Yeah, maybe that's like a new kink where, like, you know, photos are are, are someone's thing. You know, every something is someone's thing. Like there's something you know, you know what I mean. Like nothing surprises me anymore. That's funny, man. I never, you know, I, I, you know, come to think of it, I don't see a whole lot of porno mags anymore. Okay. I haven't seen one here in Austin, that's for sure. Well, they're probably banned. They're probably <laughs> for banned. all I know. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Christian right has uh, done away with porno mags. Yes, yeah, that's one victory for them, I guess. <laughs> well, before we get going on this week's episode. I just want to shout out our brothers in arms. Of course, I'm talking about Horror Wolf 666, hosted by Brandon Legion. Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith. Of course, on Wednesdays, we have uh, every Wednesday, with, with a few exceptions, <laughs> we have uh, Everything <laughs> Went Black, which is uh, you know, where I started doing all this kind of bullshit you know, years ago. Thursday, of course, is hashtag ne- Necro Thursday, which gives us uh, this podcast. Friday is Break the Apocalypse. And on Sunday, the Lord's Day, my buddy Carl Haikara delivers Soul Knox for blasphemy, occultism, and the esoteric. So when you're done listening to this, do yourself a favor and check out all these shows, and we got you covered for the entire week, with the exception of Saturday. Saturday is mm. a good day to go out, take a walk. You know, get some fresh yeah. air. Buy a porn magazine. Buy a, buy a porn mag in a, in a 7-Eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Go with your Slurpee. Yeah. So this week, Jeff and I decided to find out what all the talk is about the movie Smile, which seems to be yes. a very successful film. Oh, no question. Written and directed by Parker Finn. Okay. Now mm. I checked it. There's no, there's no uh, hyperlink when you look at this guy's name anywhere. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I went, and he only has two credits really, and they're both shorts. Laura hasn't slept, and the hide behind. 
Hmm. Are you familiar now, with this guy at all? No, Parker. A name like Parker Finn, I assume he's got to be a young guy. Um, you think, you think, he looks young. I saw a photo yeah. of him, and he looked like a younger, younger gentleman. Yeah. But then again, everyone looks like a kid to me who's under forty. I'm getting to that point myself. <laughs> um, uh, well, I am sort of familiar with uh, that. Laura isn't slip because I think that's what Smile is based on. That's correct. I was going okay, to get to I'm that. Right, okay. Yes. Yeah. That was what actually what got him uh, the nod, the green light to do this film because it's apparently an expansion on that story. And it feels like it. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen the story myself, but it's. Uh, and we'll get to my. We'll get to our feelings about this movie. But yes, uh, we will. But yeah. So um, this movie is 115 minutes long. Yes, it is. And I felt every minute of this movie. Okay. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. I was also going to bring up the running time that this movie uh, didn't feel that long to me, actually. Uh, it did feel bloated, <laughs> but um, didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't bored. I'll say that. Anyhow. I was going to run down a couple of the, um, the main players in this movie. So we have uh, Josie Bacon as uh, Dr. Rose Cotter, who is the, the star of the film. We've got uh, Jesse T. Usher as Trevor, her fiancé. Kyle Galliner as Joel, her ex. Robin Weigert as uh, Dr. Northcutt. That's her therapist. Mm. You know, there's like some other people involved. She's got like a sister, a really annoying, horrible sister-in-law. Some kids, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. She seems to be surrounded by bad awful people in in this movie uh uh just uh yeah her sister like you said kind of awful the sister's husband is kind of a fucking pushover you know her her fiance is maybe not the nicest guy her ex actually is uh i i kind of like uh thought the ex wasn't that bad of a guy despite the fact that he's a cop you know yeah, I kind of expected him to end up being like the bad guy or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd kind of um, flip it. You know what I mean? So you do want to give this a basic rundown of the plot before we get into our, our, our thoughts? Well, the more importantly, actually, since this is a brand new film, I want to know what should we do about the spoilers? Should we talk about the movie and then say we're going to the end so your listeners can decide whether or not they want to, like, you know, continue or not I, I would i would give a light spoiler warning okay uh for sure and ba based on the comments that i've gotten a lot of people actually try to watch the movie before they watch they listen to the episode so you know just uh want to give you guys fair warning that we're going to talk about the ending because it it kind of sets up some more discussion that i learned about the future of this film so that's uh that's my take on it well, I'm interested to hear that, then, because I, I I didn't know, yeah. but I suspected that uh, we might see more of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully not uh, almost two hours long, though. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically, this is a curse movie. It is. It's uh, we we find our our protagonist, uh, Doctor uh, Welcome Back Cotter, as. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to make a reference. No, I wonder how many people even know what the hell I'm talking about when I say welcome back, Cotter. But uh, I do. Yeah, I know you do, but like, you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so she's an overworked uh, psychoanalyst 
and we see her. She's talking to one of her patients, and um, yeah, she works in some sort of uh, like extreme ward of the hospital where everyone's like really heavily, you know, has some serious heavy psychological problems. So she that that's her role. So she's working mad hours, and this uh, this person that is her patient um, has very skittish. And you can tell she's upset by something. And then a change comes over her. And she is immobilized and develops this, like, smile. Hence the title of this uh, film. And then ends up killing herself with a shard of broken vase in front of the Dr. Cotter. You know, and she falls, yeah. she's bleeding out. And then they roll the, they roll the credit. Okay. And that's, I got to be honest with you, at this point, I I saw a trailer for this film, you know, when I one of the in one of the other movies I I'd seen recently. This trailer came up, and I was like, man, this doesn't look interesting at all to me. Mm. You know, like the smile. I don't know that more than anything, the smile in smile put me off to this movie, right? Okay, right in in the trailer version of this thing here, and I was like, ah, I might have to skip this one. You know what I mean? Sure. The first but, uh, like, ten minutes of this film, it actually, I thought was pretty good. It pretty much it kind of hooked me in a little bit. I can I can see that it's a, a pretty cool. cool let's say I went into this movie blind. I if I saw a trailer, I don't remember it. Uh, all I knew about it was it was a huge success, and I'm always a little dubious of horror movies that resonate with a mass audience. Um, nine out of ten times. They're not very good. Um, and when you have something like, you know, Hereditary or Midsummer or The Witch that are great movies, but audiences completely reject. Yeah, no, totally. And right off the bat, like the, this cold open, uh, I got a very strong early 2000s Japanese horror vibe from, from the first 10 minutes. Uh, did you think the same thing? I, I did, and that and that's what like kind of hooked me in a little bit the fact that this seemed like something that was inspired by like a like a 90s japanese film and uh and then also just it had this very cold vibe and there was a um the score actually was kind of interesting at this point and oh, the score was yeah yeah great so i was like oh cool it's like atmospheric and i, I kind of dug it you know what i mean yeah absolutely man it, 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 yeah it's, it's even kind of shot like a like a like a Japanese horror film. Some of the shots in the opening kind of reminded me of uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, a, a movie we're both big yep. fans of. Mm -hmm. I could see uh, that. Just the use of space uh, and silence to build tension. Uh, it's it's a very, very good opening. Like there, there's not a lot of music. I mean, I think the whole scene between um, uh, Kevin Bacon's daughter, <laughs> character Rose, uh, and, and the patient is uh, unscored. And uh, effectively creepy, but uh, I, I want to point out that this is something I'm going to bring up uh, probably a few times. The acting is a little inconsistent. You have someone who's clearly a pro and someone who is maybe not. I'll have to uh, with that. So wait, Josie Bacon is Kevin Bacon's daughter. Is that I true? think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, she definitely looks like a product of uh, of, of Kevin Bacon. I'll say that because I might have met her then. Because um, you know, I, I'm friends with Travis, and uh, I remember meeting his sister one time. 
And um, hmm. I'm, I'm just really, really curious about this. So, yeah. Parents, Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. And I remember yeah. Travis telling me that his sister moved to L.A. to become an actress. So I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Oh, shit. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And she, she's a quite, quite a good actress. Absolutely, uh, man. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, that, that's sort of consistent with the rest of the movie where uh, some of the, the, the scenes play out uh, a little iffy for, for me. Like the act, like um, the acting isn't quite what it should be in parts of this movie. And this, that was my, my first like kind of criticism of it. I was like, oh, you know, the, the lady playing the patient is not on the level of uh, her, her scene partner. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. So these two cops show up, and uh, <laughs> it turns out one of them just coincidentally is her ex. And that would yeah. be you know, Joel, her ex. And the other one is his partner. And I thought, this is the part of the movie where, where uh, <laughs> I was like, the broad strokes that a lot of the characters are painted in. Yes. Like the one she's explaining what happened. And the one cop guy that's not Joel, his partner is like, oh, so it's, you know, she's a nut job, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, paraphrasing dude. his exact line, but it was like, oh, you know, she, she's, she's out of her mind, right? You know, is that what you're trying to say? And uh, I just was like, I don't think a cop would ever say that in like an interview, at least a guy who's like on the, the detective level, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. I was waiting for him to mention, like, yeah, the chin, the Chinese boy that escaped. <laughs> <laughs> the escaped Chinese kid. Yeah. 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 Like, it was that level of, like, okay, this scene's playing out a little weird. Uh, okay, but whatever. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that point completely. It was one of the many, many awkward scenes in the movie. So, the premise of this film actually, it's like you said, it's a cursed movie. So, there's this entity that's exists sort of what I, what I gather in this like ethereal dimension that infects all these people and possesses them. All right. And then it's passed on to someone else by like, they kill themselves and it passes on to the person who watches them die. And that's, yes. that's kind of the mythology of this whole storyline. Now, maybe this was better off as like a short in my opinion. You know what I mean? Because there's just a lot of, um, meditations on this theme that just seem to go on and on and on forever into the in this movie yeah absolutely there are subplots that don't go anywhere there are scenes that kind of repeat themselves that i i feel don't need to be there um you know i mentioned this was a big hit and it resonated with mainstream audiences about 20 minutes into it I could see why. And I just basically, my girlfriend and I watched it, we were kind of predicting every beat. Uh, this movie does not have one horror trope that it doesn't, does, that it doesn't love. Like, they're all in here. Yeah. Uh, jump scares, fake outs, uh, you know, loud, no cut to silence. Um, it has, uh, it has all the trappings of, uh, people who, you know, who don't watch a lot of horror movies would enjoy because maybe they hadn't seen something like this before. Uh, maybe they haven't seen it follows which you brought up before we started. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, this film is kind of following the same template of, uh, the, of a story as say it follows, except that it follows is way more effective. Like you, you, know, you feel the intensity 
of whatever the characters are going through and it follow it follows like you you feel that anxiety a lot in that in that film and um, yeah like you feel this like relentlessness in that movie and that just is is absent from this film i mean yeah they do a they try they do they try to do a really good job of portraying how tormented uh dr cotter is rose is in this film but i i don't it just it's effective at to a point but it, after a while i caught myself being like, all right where are we going with this you know what i mean yeah, totally. And but her, her her downfall is is swift and at times plays out a little comical. <laughs> like um like uh, I don't think it's supposed to be obviously, but uh she just goes off the deep end rather quickly and starts acting insane um right away. Like, you know, they they, they make a point to make, like to, to to portray the boyfriend in a not so kind light. He's kind of a jerk and insensitive and you know she says i'm cursed and he doesn't believe her and we're kind of meant to feel like he's kind of a jerk but at the same time i was thinking i was like you know what if someone told me they were cursed i wouldn't fucking believe him either i I tend to agree with you on that i mean that's like a pretty broad statement in the rational world to claim that you're cursed you know especially (laughs) and that especially her being a psychiatrist or psychologist you know it's like you know, that's the first thing she goes to. It's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm overworked. Maybe, I mean, and that's kind of what happens is like the hospital gives her like um, a week off, you know, to collect herself and, you know, get some R&R because they did acknowledge that she was working crazy hours and, and all this kinds of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And that's where like, I was like, you know, wrote down The Ring. It's basically like this movie borrows a lot heavily uh, from other movies. Like, you know, The Ring, there's a countdown. Uh, in this movie, there's not a specific amount of time you have once you are cursed, but uh, uh, it's it, it, for me. I was like, it almost like beat for beat followed um, the ring in Sinister. Oh yeah, okay. Because mm-hmm. in Sinister also had a very similar pattern. So in this movie, and again, spoilers, um, this curse is passed on by witnessing a suicide. And before the person kills themselves, they, they let out this, you know, they show this big smile. And once you see that, you're cursed. And then the uh, pattern goes on and on and on, which kind of reminded me of Sinister, where I had more to do with the houses that things took place in. Like, you were cursed if you moved into a house and then you moved. Um, so, again, like, the, uh, every element of this movie seemed either borrowed or very similar to something else i hated the smile i gotta be honest like that just that that part is the thing all right great you're you know this is like such an obvious shortcut to creeping someone out is showing some maniacal smile on a face and i just thought that was like very um new metal (laughs) yeah it had like yeah it was it was a corn vibe you know what i mean like the next thing you're gonna see is like someone with like you know like green dreads or something like that and baggy pants, you know? Yeah, yeah, and like a five-string bass. Well, <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, I have a five-string bass, so don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I Okay, yeah. with neon green strings. <laughs> okay, there you go, yeah. All right, yeah. And a Brady goatee with a shaved head, yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah, like, it, it, again, like this movie didn't need a cliche. It, it, it didn't love. And I, I, I the smile is creepy in some scenes and funny in others. Like it seemed like some people's smiles were 
prosthetically enhanced somehow while others just seem like the actors just smiling as hard as they could. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 exactly. Like it had it had uh, lim- varying degrees of success with the smile. And I think they should have made it, all of them like CGI'd or something like that so that it would have looked obviously different than just somebody trying to crack a smile, you know? Yeah, and I don't know if it, it's as... Like it's a shortcut, and again, if you haven't seen a, a lot of horror movies, maybe this would be effective on you. Whereas it was a little eye rolly, sure, and a kind of, I mean, unexplained too. Like a lot of this, like this movie would have been more interesting to go into the lore or something like that. Um, but it's very just sort of by the numbers, beat by beat, what you expect it to be. And anytime it seems like it's going to veer off into something interesting, it it goes nowhere. Well, once again, I'm going to reference it follows, which does definitely leave a lot to your imagination, you know. Oh, sure. But but it it, it gives enough of a mythology of what's going on for you to feel satisfied, you know. And I think that's one of the shortcomings of this film is that it doesn't tickle those synapses in your brain the way that it follows did, you know, like. You're just kind of left asking questions and just being like, like, you know, um, what's going on here? What, what am I like? Give me more because I don't I don't quite have enough to get a full picture of what the story is. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Ambiguity. And it's something like this can be a great thing. Like, I don't need everything spelled out for me. But in this, like it just. This needed it. This needed something. Uh, I just. To, to hook me in and it just didn't have that something. Um, and especially in a movie that's two hours long, that probably could have been a good 15 minutes short, you know, and you would kind of hope they'd go into just something. Give me something other than like the, 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 uh, the dark hallway with uh, do you see a figure or don't you, you know, something. Yeah. And, and there were definitely some in- unintentionally funny scenes in there too, which I, I think they were unintentional, actually. I would imagine so. I yeah. thought that scene at the at the party at the birthday party played <laughs> out like I was like, "This is a dream, right? This is too goofy to be real." You talking about the cat mustache? Yes, yeah. mustache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so another like, cliche. <laughs> I, I was uh, well. Let's talk about the sister too, Edge. What a just over overwritten bitch. You know what I mean? Like, horrible person, but overly, like, such broad strokes in depicting her. And did we really, did she need to be that much of an asshole, really? You know? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they made such a point of making her surroundings so unlikable that that, uh, I thought it would be a bigger part of the movie. Yeah, the sister is very broad, and her husband... The sister's husband, that is, he's maybe in the on screen for five minutes, but he's in, you know, they make a point to make him like a milk toast, a pushover. And um, it, they kind of, it kind of goes nowhere. Like, you know, so she has this, uh, so that's in her name, Rose, has this interaction with her patient. She goes home, she drinks wine. Again, they make it a point to show her that. You know, she's she's drinking wine to, to relieve her stress. And in another awkward scene, like when the boyfriend comes home and sees her, she seems like wasted yeah. to me. The way she was acting, I was like, did they, did they maybe cut some stuff before this, like showing her drinking in her car or something like that? Because 
it shows her drinking one glass of wine and she's acting like very hammered. And uh, again, I'm like, oh, the does this movie going to be make some more interesting points with this? But it doesn't. And then we get to the dinner scene. And the only thing I really, that, that uh, this is like maybe the, says something about my intention span. All I could really focus on with a carrot, like everyone had like these two big carrots on their plate. <laughs> you know, I was focusing on the same thing too, man. Oh, good. Okay. I was like, what's up with those carrots? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that you picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that struck me as very odd. Uh, like, okay. You know, they, they clearly had uh, carrots at craft service in this movie. Um, but yeah, okay, that dinner scene, you get a lot. The sister's a bitch, the fucking, bro, like, comically so. Uh, and I don't think she's supposed to be comic relief. Uh, you know, you have hints of past trauma with, with, with Rose and, and, and her mom. Her sister has clearly moved on. Her boyfriend, yeah, I, at this point, you're not really quite sure what, what to think of him. But you get that their relationship is... Uh, uh, you know, not perfect. Well, he's kind of a rebound guy too. Yes. Yeah. You know, she like, was dating the the cop. Yeah, the cop, and and like the guy who's like uh, the the next dude in line after the breakup. Never it never fares well for him. You know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Or or in either either case, men or women, I guess. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but again, they make a point like her relationship is in trouble. This guy's a jerk. Um, when she comes clean by, uh, 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 about the curse, uh, that she's cursed, she thinks she's cursed, uh, they have a, a discussion in the driveway that is, it's done in one shot, and I, you know, I love one takes, if they're good. But this play, like, could have really benefited from cutting in because, uh, you know, to close-ups or something, because it, it plays out, like, like a bad high school play almost like the acting is just not up to snuff like uh in that scene and uh it should have been powerful but instead it, again i i found myself rolling my eyes um at, at this point you know i thought maybe the movie was trying to make a broader point about maybe the way women are treated in society like oh you should smile more and oh you had that scene again that um with her and her boyfriend in the car where she tries to open the door for, or close the door because he tries to get out. And she goes, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, she keeps apologizing for herself. And I was like, oh, okay, they might be going somewhere with this, like making some sort of comment on society. Uh, and if, if the movie kind of fails at that, if that's what it's trying to do. Did yeah. you, am I crazy? Like, did I pick no. up something that isn't there? Or? No, I mean, I, I, I can dig that. I just... I know that there's a lot of like subtext that was trying to be put out there at this film, like you know, trauma and all, you know, just the the, the run of the mill things <laughs> that that people want to talk about in movies that just are like cookie cutter issues that get presented in the guise of commentary. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we talked about this when we talked about Hellraiser about the lead character being a drug addict that ultimately had no bearing on the story at all. Um, if this movie is trying to be a comment on trauma about the way people are treated in society, I think it definitely fails on that level, on any metaphorical level at all. 
I mean, I don't know much about uh, Parker Finn, but, um, you know, and maybe he is sorting out some intense stuff in his life, and that's what this movie was supposed to be for him, some kind of cathartic way of dealing with trauma. But as a, just technically on the creative end, I don't think that he really accomplished that, you know? I mean, you can write about it in articles, oh, it's about this, but I didn't really didn't get the feel, like, for any of that stuff. The same way that, for example, like, a movie by Abel Ferrara, you know, the blackout, you mm. watch that movie and immediately you're like, this is about some personal shit that this guy went through, you know? Sure. And I just didn't, if, if I just didn't get that feeling, I, I got a feeling that there was like, all right, I want to have a subtext and it's going to be about this. And then I'm going to try really hard to put these ideas and bake these ideas into the film. And it just didn't resonate with me at all. No, not at all. Uh, I completely uh, agree with you where like if this movie was trying to do like be subtly uh, be about trauma or like you know they kind of like talk about the mind a few times and like this would have been a more interesting movie if it was could have gone either way it took place in her mind or it was real but it felt very real like it didn't really feel psychological at all like I think again a movie about trauma uh the Babadook uh which I know you and I kind of split on I loved it I don't think you did um, I, I um I let's put it this way I didn't enjoy it as much as some other people but I I still see it as a good film though like I still recommend that movie to people you know sure I, I, you want to talk about a movie about trauma that is a great way to to explore those scenes and then at the end of the Babadook you're left wondering well maybe you are maybe you aren't but it could either have really happened or it could either have not happened There's, you can look at it both ways this isn't I think this wants to have that weight to it, but it doesn't. Exactly. Yep. And yeah, I, I you know, the movie kind of like, again, like they introduce subplot. Okay. Like the, speaking of horror cliches, as I mentioned before, there is not only a Google scene in the movie. <laughs> as soon as that happened, because I know that that's like a really you hate that? I knew that oh, Jeff's going to have something to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it drives me fucking nuts. At least it didn't have her talking to herself like, oh, he's at the asylum. I mean, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ten found dead. Yeah. Brazil. Uh, at least, you know, you know, it has like a blue highlighting of what the audience should be, you know, paying attention to. Uh, so, yeah, you have that. And then you have not one, but two scenes of, 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 uh, reluctant uh exposition characters me like you know it's in every fucking cliche horror, horror movie where the person goes to find out more about what's happening to them and they are reluctant they know more than she does but they don't want to talk about it and you get two of those in this movie and it's like, surely this is like this has to be ghost somewhere like she goes to see the previous suicide victim who was who was cursed and and we, we get a little bit more of the plot and exposition there before she's screamed and thrown out. And, and then we get another scene where we get more plot exposition from, uh, of a way to possibly break the curse. And that's where I was like, okay, maybe this movie is going to go somewhere interesting with this because basically uh, it's passed on by, you know, to person to person, you kill yourself. Someone witnesses it, they're cursed. They kill themselves. Whoever witnesses it goes on. 
So this idea of a way to, in, to break the curse is introduced where you can kill someone else as long as it's witnessed, the curse is passed on, and you don't die. This movie does nothing with that. <laughs> also, that what a heavy-handed way to talk about trauma, too, you know? Sure. It's like, yeah, probably one of the most tra traumatical, traumatizing events you can do is like, watch someone fucking kill themselves. So, yeah. oh, yeah, now I'm traumatized because I watched this. It's like there was literally, there was so, such a broad-stroked, heavy-handed way of, like, talking about, quote-unquote, talking about trauma. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And... I thought at this point the movie is going to become about uh, about Rose's decision. Okay, does she pass the curse on to someone else, and who who's she going to kill to rid herself of of this burden? And I thought, okay, this is where all of this comes in. The the sister's an asshole. The boyfriend's a jerk. Uh, you know, I, I I was like, this is where this movie's going, and all uh, or. We're going to get some big, you know, is she going to like just sacrifice herself and not and, and just deal with the ramifications of having this curse? It, it doesn't really do. You don't really. All of that exposition sets up is a dream sequence, basically, where she dreams of like, the, oh, I'll kill this person and the curse will be lifted. But it's not real. It's a fucking dream. And that part was very funny, I thought. Yeah, it was it almost was so like this, dumb. like Sam Raimi directed, uh, you know, like the way that the action unfolds in that is very much like this funny. It was funny to me. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it was funny. Yeah, no, I don't think it was. Yeah, like it, it was just goofy. Yeah, and I, I thought, well, okay, like, okay, so that was a dream. Surely we're gonna have some big moral dilemma then at the end uh, or something, something to, to tie this together. And ultimately, no, it just lands with the ending kind of lands with a stud. I think we're supposed to be disturbed and unsettled, but uh, when the credits started to roll, I just thought, Oh, okay, well that's over with. All right. So big spoiler coming up right here with the ending. Okay. So, cause we, I feel like I, now it's like, all right, guys, if you don't want to hear the end of the movie, you know, come back later after you see it. Hopefully, you sure. guys have already seen this film. But, yeah. um, but so at the end, it turns out that she kills her. She immolates herself, basically. Yeah. And uh, her ex is the one who witnesses this, so it implies that he is now the carrier of the curse. Right. All right. And on one hand, and then they roll credits. And on one hand, I was like. Uh, kudos for a downbeat ending you know mm, sure but fuck you for setting up sequels <laughs> so i was like damn man and sure enough i read somewhere that they've been hinting about bringing this back for you know a franchise or some bullshit like that yeah and you can almost see exactly how that's gonna play out we're gonna get more exposition about the uh whatever this entity is because that's really hardly touched on in this at, at, at all um you know he's a cop so he can be investigating his own you know curse um <laughs> uh, b for b you can just tell where this is yeah. where this is gonna go and 
I like mean, the have, sixth the sixth movie is going to be in outer space, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And let the seventh one goes straight to streaming, and you know, it's, um, yeah. Again, like you, you mentioned, like she Emily, it, uh, she burns herself alive, and uh, that should have way more weight than it does. But you know, it's not a choice. She's not doing this to to, to break the curse. She does it because you know, now she's fully possessed, like everyone, like like her patient at the beginning of the movie. It's no longer her. Um, it, it's not like a, a moral choice, uh, which is again, I thought I thought maybe they'd go there. Maybe there's there, there's something kind of interesting there. There's there's interesting ideas in this movie that they don't do anything with. Instead, they use those interesting ideas and just kind of throw them into a, this very cliched horror movie. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, in a way, the whole it almost made me feel like this whole movie was to set up a franchise, you know? It definitely has that feel to it, doesn't it? It does. Because like, like you were saying before, like we don't really get a whole lot of insights into what this thing actually is, you know? And at the very end, she passes the curse on. And um, it's just like, oh, now this guy is thinking about setting up a franchise you know, around this very, very slim concept, really, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, I, I don't see this really getting better with sequels. Uh, you know, like, like It Follows doesn't really explain much, but, like, I, I, that movie doesn't need a sequel. It's, I feel perfectly contained. Like, you, it, and you're like, this just goes on and on and on, and that's how it's going to be. We don't really need a whole lot more of those. Or any, I think. Yeah, no, there, and there haven't been. That was it. Yeah, yeah. thankfully. I th yeah, this feels like yeah, th like you said, like this intentionally was was vague just to set up more movies and make you know a franchise out of this. Which uh, you know, I'm not really too interested in seeing where this where this goes. I mean, all that said, I don't like. There are some bright spots in this movie, for sure. Uh, I think the acting from uh, is, is is good from uh, Sosie Bacon. Uh, I think some some of the directing was good. Uh, I, I I don't know that his command of actors is quite there yet because some of the scenes really fly, fly off the rails acting wise and 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 veer into un unintentional comedy. But there is are cool shots in this movie. I really liked a lot of the overhead shots and the the camera turning upside down, I guess, to, you know, convey some sort of, like, uh, madness, something. It was effective. I like stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, like I said, the very beginning was cool. I enjoyed it. You know, it had this very atmospheric, like, creepiness to it. And, uh, and then I thought, I, like I was telling you over before the beginning of this, I fell asleep, actually, the first time I tried to watch it. I Started Same. started the film up like too late at night during the week, and I, all I saw was like that opening scene, the credits, and then maybe five minutes, and then I was I woke up. It was like six o'clock in the morning after that, and I was like, "Oh damn, I slept." Yeah, you know, I didn't even see it. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I had, I had a similar experience watching it, but I was kind of in and out throughout the whole thing, and I thought, "Well, that's not fair to to, to the movie. I really need to give it my attention." But my thoughts were were like. I'm not, I'm not really liking this, <laughs> you know? So I yeah. gave it another watch and the rewatch uh, yeah. made me not 
like it, like just like I described in the last, you know, hour or so of this talk we're having. Um, so yeah, you know, so what what is your score on this movie, Jeff? <sighs> I thought I was hoping by the end of this I would have a more concrete idea. I'm somewhere between a two and a half and a three. Three my is my lowest recommendation, my B minus. Uh, I because I, I can see people enjoying it. And there are there is things to enjoy about the movie and like it is two hours long. It didn't feel two hours long for me. Um but I think ultimately I'm gonna have to say two and a half for me. Yeah, I think actually I, I land on two and a half too because uh I would recommend this to someone who doesn't hasn't seen a lot of horror films and um, maybe yeah. hasn't seen The Ring or or hasn't seen It Follows. And uh, but if you're someone who's seen all those films and has been watching horror movies for a long time, I I don't really recommend it. You know. Yeah, yeah, same. It it uh, it's well made. I get why it resonated with a mass audience. It just did not quite resonate with me because all is your left with is jump scares and in the moment kind of stuff but hello they dropped out oh Oh, sorry about that. Where, where did we drop out? Uh, you were talking about jump jump scares and all that sort of stuff. Okay. All right. Take it from there. Okay. So, yeah. What you're left with is the best horror movies for me, really, they stay with you. And I had forgotten about this by the time Lollipop rolled on the crew. The, the song, the movie ends with a lollipop playing <laughs> over the credits. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get that reference actually why they picked that song particularly sorry Mike I dropped my phone <laughs> yeah, I was so angry over the lollipop I dropped my phone yeah I didn't get that reference either uh, I, I, I thought I was going to ask you about it actually did you pick up on any reason no. for that maybe the, the guy liked it I don't know I don't have any connection i don't see any tie-in with that song really no none i thought maybe you know maybe it'll end with a you know a brian wilson song because he had an album called smile or something like that i don't know anything but yeah, yeah this, this was very this was i i put this uh, uh, up with like the conjuring movies which aren't bad but they're just sort of average and if you don't watch a lot of horror movies you might think it's great yeah yeah I, I i agree with that except i do think i like the conjuring films a little bit better than this yeah some, yeah some of them at least not not the entire yeah. series yeah the conjuring yeah well the third one's awful uh but uh yeah the conjuring are like you know i did like a three two this just wasn't quite there not awful not a train wreck just I, I don't know man this this didn't really do much for me at all and it's just window dressing and, and and jump scares and that's just not my thing but you know this is a good mom horror movie like yeah when you when your mom asks you or your uncle or whatever like oh you like those horror movies what should i watch this is something it's oh you should probably watch this you'll probably like this not my mom though my mom no like, she likes the real deal man my mom's like 
she's like very much into horror films so this she would probably wouldn't even like this movie either oh okay i think my mom definitely would anytime i actually recommend something i love it depresses her so <laughs> <laughs> uh it, you know i remember t- telling my parents you have to go see seven in the theater and then being like why the hell did you think we'd want to watch that yeah um no so my, yeah, mom, my mom yeah. loved seven she likes salem's lot she likes the shining she likes halloween she likes all that stuff yeah yeah my mom actually yeah the reason i saw the shining when i was a, a kid is i was watching it with my mom she, she the reason i'm into even know who stephen king was when i was a kid is because of my mother you know she loved all that stuff but you know she's 75 now and doesn't really keep up with it like she used to yeah. Yeah, my mom just um, recently watched the entire omen uh, series, you know, the, all, all the sequels that are on, they're on show, uh, HBO Max right now. You know, I think I've only seen the first one in the remake. I never saw the remake. I definitely, I saw the first two and the, okay. the one with Sam Neill is in one of them, one of the sequels. He's in the third one, I the think. The third one. So I saw the first three then. Yeah. Okay. Well, are they worth watching past the first yeah, one? No, totally. You should watch them all actually. Maybe the last one, maybe not so much, but like yeah. the first three are pretty solid. The remake's pretty uh, abysmal. It's just in very much an updated version of the first one. It doesn't really need to exist. Yeah. Um, I always kind of figured the only one was like the Amityville Horror where the first one's good and the rest is garbage. No, they weren't. They weren't bad. I, I, I kind of. I mean, there's, there's a the whole Antichrist thing. You can see him entering government and there being, you know, it, there's, there's like a reason to go on with the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and anything with Sam Neill in it is certainly worth a watch. Oh, yeah. He's a fucking maestro. Sam Neill. Yeah. As long as they're not dinosaurs running around, <laughs> yeah. um, I'll watch something he's in for sure. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Take care. She belongs there, left with her liberty, never known as a non and stays in her one, 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 wonderful. She knew how to gather the forest when God reached softly and moved her body. One golden locket, quite young. Just a